In this lecture, we're going to expand on the previous discussion of changes to white blood cell numbers and get into how exercise might change the innate function of some of those cells. So let's kind of talk again about the innate system. Remember that this is the sort of second line of defense after your barrier tissues and that one of the functions of this is to form a rapid response that might be able to totally eliminate that threat before an infection is established and if needed to prompt the acquired or adaptive system. So it kind of in the meantime serves as a holding mechanism. The idea behind this is that it would allow that acquired system time to respond. Recall that that adaptive response takes time. You have to actually present the antigen to the various cells to sensitize them. To You have to have time for that antigen to find its mate, to find the receptors on those cells that were made specifically to respond to that antigen. So that takes time. This part of the system then allows that um, recognition to occur um, without establishing uh, a rampant infection in the meantime. But some of the issues with that then is that it's not specific. It reacts the same way no matter what that invader is and it won't remember the next time that you come across it. The way that it works then is by recognizing general characteristics that don't match with our self antigens. Um, some things that don't belong on human cells like lipopolysaccharides or tocoic acids or portions of endotoxins that are found in bacteria and not on human cells. And the technical terms we talked about previously are either um, damage associated, and this is just a review, we have had these terms before, or pathogen associated, molecular patterns. These are things that we don't have in our body that are detected by what are called pattern recognition receptors. Right, PRRs. One type of which is called a toll-like receptor. And you have several of those either on the surface of your cells or some of them even within the cell like in the nucleus whose job is to recognize patterns that don't belong to the human genome. Now we talked about how the cellular numbers of white blood cells change with exercise but what we haven't really gone into then is how their function might change. How does some of this change in response to exercise? Well, let's start with the cell that responds the greatest to exercise. Remember we said that exercise causes a pretty large neutrophilia. In other words, an increase in the number of neutrophils responding to exercise. But now let's talk a little bit about how this might change their activity because increasing the numbers we learned kind of had a lot to do with just changes in shear stress or force because of the increase in blood flow 
the changes of vasodilation in your bloodstream would cause marginated neutrophils to be released into the bloodstream. But do they have any different actions once they're in the bloodstream? So that's kind of what we're going to talk about here. But you may have noticed in the chapter reading that it's been really hard to study the activity of some of these white blood cells because that activity is happening in the tissues and that's not easy to measure. When we're measuring the number of cells, we're even then only able to measure what's circulating in your bloodstream. So here it's hard to determine what's going on in the tissues because we would have to take tissue samples and try to look at their function there and that's not easy to do. We can try to do a culture um, in a laboratory, what's called an in vitro study, but that may not function exactly how it does inside of our bodies. So there's actually some mixed evidence and some missing evidence as discussed in your chapter, just because it's difficult to study this. There's a lot we don't know yet. So some of the studies or models try to induce a response by injecting things like cortisol or epinephrine to get a response, and then looking at maybe how this affects the different functions. So the functions of the neutrophil that we need to try to look at are how they adhere, how they are drawn into the tissue, and that process is called chemotaxis, and once they're there, how do they actually engulf antigens? And how do they kill those antigens? The way that they kill those substances is through degranulation and oxidative or respiratory burst, which produces a reactive oxygen species. Okay, that's a fancy term for the production of things like peroxide and superoxide, which is meant to kill whatever substance has been phagocytized. So you might remember when we talked in the beginning about the neutrophil as a type of cell, that it had three major ways of addressing a pathogen, either absorbing it through phagocytosis, or releasing um, those granules with enzymes and reactive oxygen species out into the tissue to address extracellular pathogens or to try to trap extracellular um, pathogens in this um, extracellular trap, neutrophil extracellular trap, which was a net that we briefly talked about. What we're really going to look at more here then is um, the process of phagocytosis, because what we don't really know much about with adherence and chemotaxis is how that seems to be affected by exercise. It doesn't seem to make a difference to how it adheres, um, but that chemotaxis may be changed, and as we saw in the previous lectures, it's really hard to determine these. Um, they could change, but unfortunately, the studies seem to use, you know, different doses of exercise. Does it have to do with their training status? Does it have to do with the intensity or the duration? And because some of those are so different out in the research, it's hard to say because some studies said yes, it changes. Some studies says no, it doesn't. But not the, the variables weren't all the same to make comparisons. But what there has been a little bit more study on is phagocytosis and, and the killing of those organisms. So what they found is that trained individuals may have a lower capacity for phagocytosis at rest, but that exercise increases both the number and the phagocytic capacity. So we knew before that it increases the number in the bloodstream. That was from a previous lecture. But it's possible then that you also get an increase in the ability um, 
to phagocytize. Um, it's possible that prolonged periods may lead to susceptibility um, if there is a lower capacity for this at rest. So this may be, we're not sure, one of the reasons that uh, your marathon runners or individuals who have a more intense exercise routine that they may have more susceptibility. But why might that, if you have an increase in the phagocytic capacity um, with exercise, why then might we have a susceptibility? Well, it turns out that two of the things that are involved with phagocytosis seem to be changed. So it seems that acute exercise increases spontaneous degranulation. So what that means is those granules that are inside of the neutrophil may release without a stimulus. So sort of unnecessarily releasing their contents into the cytoplasm, which means when they actually have a stimulation, i.e. a bacteria, or pathogen, then they don't have any of those granules left to release to take care of it. So this could be a possible reason that even with greater numbers in circulation and greater phagocytic capacity, that they're not able to take care of those pathogens as well. We're not sure. Again, some of the research is tough right now because of the various variables not being consistent. Now, the oxidative burst, in other words, the production of reactive oxygen species that are actually going to be doing the killing of some of these, this seems to vary based on intensity. So again, sort of tough to determine. But both of these together are what leads to the ability to kill, in other words, microbicidal, and the cytal is killing, so killing a microbe, its capacity. So these two things together is what determines the killing capacity. And back to that previous slide where it seems like at rest, it may not make any difference, but it may make a difference during the exercise period. But there are so many factors that have made it really tough to determine this in the research that some of this is kind of up in the air. So these are the things that we think we know about it, but we may find in the future that some of this information changes. But we do know a little bit more about some of the changes to your monocytes and macrophages. Now remember, these phagocytize similar to neutrophils, but they are primarily your antigen-presenting cells. Neutrophils, really, their main job is just phagocytosis and killing. They don't really present antigen to the system, which would help to start the adaptive or acquired response. Now, it seems that, again, some of that phagocytic function might change based on intensity, similar to what we already saw here, but we think here that part of this has to do with changes in that um, hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis that helps to release cortisol due to stress. So. What's interesting here is you seem to get a greater phagocytic capacity with moderate and acute exercise of monocytes and macrophages, but that acute exercise, uh, exhaustive exercise may not. What we have seen though, is that some of the surface expression of the molecules that are responsible for the presentation of antigen may change. Now, unfortunately, again, because of dose, 
Um, it's hard to tell exactly how these um, are changing things. There are some studies that are talked about in your chapter that say that the surface expression of some of those toll-like receptors, remember those are these things that are on the surface of your cells, particularly the innate immune system cells like macrophages, neutrophils, and natural killer cells. These are the things that are responsible for detecting the molecules in bacteria and other pathogens that don't belong to the human molecular pattern. Um, lipopeptides, tachoic acids, lipopolysaccharides, flagellins, things that we don't have. So changes in the surface expression of those would most certainly affect the ability for these cells to detect a pathogen. And there are some studies that indicate potential changes in the MHC class 2. Remember, that's what your antigen presenting cell uses to display foreign antigen to the adaptive system. So if there are changes in the expression of MHC class 2, that would affect, again, the ability to prompt an adaptive or acquired response. So some of the stuff that was discussed in the chapter says that these are decreased with exercise. Some of them say that these are increased. So again, we may find out more about this. What we have a much harder time understanding, as I said before, is the tissue function. We know that the number of macrophages in the bloodstream is a small fraction of your total number of macrophages in your body because that's their main function is out in the tissues, surveying, collecting, and presenting antigen to the system. Unfortunately, most of the studies that have been looked at are animal studies, and we can't necessarily know if some of that information transfers to the human system in the same way. So sort of sort of story of this lecture might be that there's a lot we don't know. What has sort of been determined is that there might be a change in the types of macrophages. You may remember from previous lecture that there are two types of macrophages. And um, I found this neat graphic that I didn't have with the last lecture that gives you a better explanation of the differences between those two. The cytokines or substances released by your type 1 macrophage or M1 relate more to an inflammatory response and that those have the ability later on to switch to a resolution or anti-inflammatory response and those are usually in a type 2 macrophage. So it seems that as the intensity increases, and this is outlined in your chapter, um, that there is a greater infiltration of some of the macrophages into the muscular tissue. And actually, in addition to the brief mention of this in your chapter, I did put an article in this week's module that talks about this. That, And it's actually a really recent article, um, later than the publishing of our textbook, that was able to look at what might be out in the tissue, since some of our stuff is limited to the circulating white blood cells. If we look at muscular tissue, it seems like as you increase the intensity of exercise, you may get a shift um, from the bloodstream into the muscular tissue involving initially your inflammatory macrophages and then eventually transitioning to your anti-inflammatory macrophages, which is kind of an interesting possibility to explain what could be happening. So why might you have 
a change from an initial inflammatory response in the muscle tissue and then to a resolving or anti-inflammatory response. We'll come back to that potential idea here at the end of the lecture, but let's talk one more about one more cell in the innate response that seems to respond to hormones with exercise. Remember that natural killer cells were the type of lymphocyte that responded most strongly in numbers to an exercise event. We had a biphasic response, particularly with intense exercise. Initially, you had an increase in the natural killer cell number, and that eventually then you had a dip. We had this um, graph that looked like this. You had an increase in the natural killer cells, and that during a post-exercise period, you had a dip that actually went below the normal levels that didn't return to that previous pre-exercise number until almost 24 hours later. What is suspected here is there's some preliminary evidence. Again, this all sort of needs more research, but there is some prelim, I can't spell this morning. There is some preliminary evidence that suggests so we know a little bit about the numbers, and the natural killer cell numbers, that suggest a change in NK cell activity, specifically an increase with habitual exercise. And this is most found in older adults. So this might be a reason that you would promote regular activity among older adults because we know that there is a decrease in some of your T-cell responses as individuals get older with the aging response. But if we can improve some of the innate function, we might be able to increase that ability to address new antigens, which has been some of the issue with the aging immune system. So, there may be an enhancement in the natural killer cell activity, um, and then there may be a delayed suppression, which is probably part of what we saw here related to the numbers. And this may be related to adrenaline rather than cortisol, which we saw with the role of monocytes and macrophages in the exercise response. So why do we have these changes? in the innate immunity with exercise. So I kind of alluded to it just a minute ago that the more recent um, recognition is that muscle can actually be considered as an endocrine organ. And that some of those endocrine responses may have immunogenic results. And that's largely related to one of those cytokines or interleukins that seems to be produced and released specifically from exercising muscle. In fact, there's a video I posted in this week's module from one of the researchers who initially explained or suggested that this interleukin or cytokine be renamed a myokine specifically because it is made in the muscle. So it is a muscle-derived cytokine. What we know about interleukin, though, is a little bit confusing. Initially, it was traditionally considered as 
pro-inflammatory, mainly because it seems to increase the secretion of cortisol, which is associated with a stress response. And those who had chronic inflammatory conditions seem to have higher levels of cortisol, higher levels of other pro-inflammatory markers. But more recently, they have found that there are also some anti-inflammatory influences of IL-6. But what changes whether it is pro-inflammatory versus anti-inflammatory seems to have to do with what's called signaling. So it turns out that most of our cells have this special receptor on the surface that is responsive only to a form of IL-6 that's combined with another molecule which means that IL-6 can only have an influence on the cells when it's combined with this molecule, and many of our cells have that, and it ends up producing an inflammatory response. But that's called a trans-signaling process. It turns out that classical signaling, where this interleukin binds by itself, we don't tend to have very many receptors to that on the surface of our cells. Therefore, the anti-inflammatory response to IL-6 doesn't happen all that often, even though it has the ability of causing an anti-inflammatory response. We don't have the ability to react to it very well because we don't have very many of these particular receptors that are exclusive to IL-6 only. That means that most of the time, the response to IL-6 is inflammatory producing. And that also has to do with this idea that IL-6 when released from exercising muscle, seems to produce a increase in cortisol in the system. Cortisol then causes probably that lymphopenia that we talked about in a previous lecture, and the neutrocytosis or neutrophilia that occurs with exercise. IL-6 though has some positive influences from an exercise perspective. It seems to be what influences glucose uptake and fat oxidation. That's why exercise is a positive thing as far as metabolism. You get a greater intake in glucose in the system, which reduces blood glucose and increases insulin sensitivity. It may also cause you to break down more lipids, which reduces then the um, amount of fat in the system. So as a whole, you get sort of counteractive influences of IL-6. So let's look at not only what happens with IL-6, but what happens with the cortisol as a result of being stimulated by interleukin-6. What they have found is that mild to moderate intensity exercise, usually less than 50%, your VO2 max, it tends to decrease cortisol and increase its clearance from the body. Now, what they did find, however, though, is even at a lower intensity, if people exercised for longer, they ended up with an increase in cortisol. That probably had to do with the fact that as glucose gets depleted in the system, cortisol is needed to recruit more glucose production in the liver to maintain blood glucose levels. So this may be sort of why there's a gray area in the effects of both IL-6 
and cortisol in your system because part of it is related to the amount of glucose that's available. If you exercise at a moderate intensity, but not for too long, you may not release very much cortisol because you don't have a drastic increase in the glucose available. And therefore, this is why some of the mild to moderate forms of exercise may have a more beneficial effect without creating a stress response because they did notice that the higher the intensity or if of sufficient duration to reduce glucose, here the intensity was greater than 60% VO2 max. This is where you got an increase in cortisol. And that's where you got the most significant changes in your immune response. So again, you actually can now consider muscle to be an endocrine organ because some of the signals that it is releasing are having both an endocrine response and an immune system response, all just from what is being released from the muscle with exercise. Now, there's some other components that also seem to respond to IL-6 and muscle release of cortisol. You seem to get, with greater intensities of exercise, an activation of complement. This then ends up, because remember complement can help um, opsonize your pathogens, which means that you get greater phagocytosis. You also have one of the other functions of complement to create that membrane attack complex. So one of the other reasons that exercise can be positive for the innate response is that you, if you get a greater activation of complement, you may get a greater ability to phagocytize and greater ability to lyse cells with the MAC. And that then would allow you to respond to new antigens in that innate system at a better, um, a higher rate than you would if you didn't have exercise stimulating that system. So here's another couple um, images that kind of summarize here this idea that you can have two different responses from the body with this IL-6. It was always sort of considered a negative thing because it seems to have pro-inflammatory and pro-atherogenic um, influences, but we have noticed that dependent on the intensity and duration, that you could have some very positive responses from IL-6 because we know that with IL-6, you can get an increase in insulin sensitivity and an increase in lipolysis. It also then has an influence on your glucose um, homeostasis and responses of some of your macrophages. So we know then that if we have a two intense or too long of an exercise bout, we may end up with cortisol being released. And that then may cause a pro-inflammatory response. So the reason we made that connection is it turns out that your longer duration and higher intense exercise not only increases cortisol, but you get changes in those acute phase proteins. Remember, we talked about those in a previous lecture, things like CRP, things like fibrinogen, things that are increased that indicate inflammation whenever they are present in larger amounts in the bloodstream. So the idea here or theory is that perhaps the longer duration, more intense exercise is actually causing muscle damage 
that then prompts an inflammatory response. And one of the reasons that they suspected this is that exercise that causes muscle damage seems to elevate CRP and complement that peaks around 24 hours post-exercise. So by measuring things in the systemic circulation with a blood sample, they realized that during um, and about an hour or so after exercise, you get release of the myokine IL-6. You also get release of other pro-inflammatory or acute phase substances, such as IL-17, which you may recall from a previous lecture, seems to indicate higher inflammatory um, functioning if it's found in the system. If you look at what's present, present in the skeletal muscle during that same period of time, you'll find that there are greater reactive oxygen species. Remember, those are the things like um, peroxide and superoxide that end up being what um, lyses cells as part of your um, innate response. This seems to indicate that there is muscle damage occurring. But as you move into the post-exercise recovery period, you begin to get a change in the substances that are found in the circulation. Rather than as much IL-6, you begin to get some of the more anti-inflammatory cytokines, like IL-10 and IL-1. You also get changes in some of those um, toll-like receptors. Remember, those are the things on the surface of monocytes that detect non-self pathogen-related um, types of molecules. And what seems to be happening in the skeletal muscle during that same period of time is cells in the area that are responding to inflammation, neutrophils and the type 1 macrophages seem to accumulate in the muscle during this post-exercise 24-hour period. Then in the bloodstream, as you move past that 24-hour period, you begin to get a return to a homeostatic, in other words, nor, quote-unquote, normal amount of um, substances in the bloodstream that don't indicate either inflammation or anti-inflammation. Here, what you find during that same period of time in the muscle is a transition from the inflammatory macrophages to the type 2 anti-inflammatory or recovery regenerative type of macrophage. So this probably means that you're getting back to, again, a normal state. This perhaps is this what contributes to that open window that we talked about in a previous lecture. So if you're getting an increase in some of those cells in the bloodstream shortly after exercise, if they are migrating to the muscle cells to repair damage, is the open window of susceptibility for other types of infections occurring because the cells that would normally be addressing those pathogens in other parts of the tissue have gone to the muscle for repair. So that's kind of the potential suggestion or question or theory that is kind of out there now. Because we know that you get initially an increase in some of these cells in the bloodstream and that they go lower in the bloodstream, particularly your lymphocytes.
but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're low in the tissues. What might be happening is they're going someplace. So what might be happening with exercise is that those cells are leaving the bloodstream and infiltrating the muscle, potentially for repair. So we know that moderate exercise seems to increase your ability to fight off pathogens, but that more intense and long duration exercise may make you more susceptible. That may be because the more intense long duration exercise is more likely to cause muscle damage. The term here, if you haven't heard of it before, is exercise-induced muscle damage. So remember that part of the innate immune response is inflammation. Back to one of those very first lectures we had about your different lines of defense. One of the things that occurs with innate immunity is an inflammatory response. And while we often tend to think of this as a negative thing, that inflammation is negative, it is essential and a normal part of the repair process when you have damaged tissue. You have to have an inflammatory response to go in and clean up the dead cells and damaged tissue in order to start a repair process. So this might be why more intense long duration exercise seems to produce a susceptible period for pathogens because you have an inflammatory response going on in the muscles, an acute inflammatory response that draws some of those immune cells into the muscle for repair, making them less available in the tissues to respond to new pathogens. That may be a reason of what um, we found in that very first lecture of an increased amount of infection, potentially during that short period after intense long duration exercise. And again, I, I mentioned that I put an article in this week's module um, because this is a very recent um, study that talks about, and sorry, I realize I have a typo here, the role of the innate and adaptive system in repairing um, muscle damage that occurs because of exercise. And what they're basically implying here is that the immune system is involved in three different phases of repair. Um, that initially you have inflammation, then you have some resolution and repair, and all of this requires these cells to be present. So what you actually end up with then is initially you get muscle factors being released because of this exercise-induced muscle damage, and one of those is IL-6. And that, remember, with higher intensities of exercise, you get a greater amount of IL-6. And IL-6 can function to attract other cells and establish other cytokine responses that attract cells from the innate system to the area, specifically some of your neutrophils and macrophages. Um, monocytes or macrophages that come to the area. And they do their job of, um, with these immune cells to begin to repair any of those damaged cells that are um, impaired because of intense exercise. What this then does is sort of continues a cycle that ultimately leads to repair of that tissue. And during this process, then, you do have some inflammation that's using these cells as part of that response. 
what they have found is mild exercise-induced muscle damage from more low-impact exercise seems to generate little to no white blood cell infiltration. So you won't get the same response, leaving some of those cells out in the tissues and circulation to do their normal pathogen-fighting job. However, more moderate exercise-induced muscle damage causes macrophages to accumulate around those myofibrils. In other words, right in the muscle tissue. And here, oops, sorry about that. Here's the kicker. That kind of makes sense. More severe exercise-induced muscle damage has been found to cause the largest accumulation of macrophages in the muscle. So this might be part of what's happening with exercise and contributing to that open window effect. Particularly if you exercise during that open window effect after a previous intense bout of exercise, you might further depress this response by causing even more exercise-induced muscle damage that keeps some of these cells in the tissue for longer rather than out, um, I'm sorry, in the muscle tissue for longer rather than out in your other barrier tissues to address any new antigens that they find in place. And the reason that this is kind of one of the more recent theories about what might be happening is that normally there are very few macrophages resident in muscle tissue. So this finding that with more severe exercise-induced muscle damage, that you're finding a larger accumulation of macrophages is indicative of their need to be there to do their critical role of regulating this repair process that happens with the muscle damage. But what might that mean for your other tissues that now are devoid of some of those monocytes and macrophages that may have previously been present there? So that's kind of where we're going. What might all this mean? So hopefully this makes sense to you as to why we're trying to connect back to that initial lecture where we learned that more intense long duration exercise may predispose you or leave you open to infection, but that more moderate exercise and regular exercise may actually enhance your ability to fight things off. Because we know that with, with exercise that doesn't produce significant muscle damage, we don't seem to get an infiltration of those white blood cells into the muscle, which means they may be able to stay out in your other barrier tissues to do their job more efficiently. So the next step then will be to look at how the adaptive or acquired response changes with exercise, and then how some of those um, barrier tissues specifically are changed, like your mucosal immunity. So sort of stay tuned. We'll see where the rest of this goes.